Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else your podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take your conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, it's made uploading content for Voice of Adoptees extremely easy. I get your message across and we grow our audience, which ultimately is our goal in the end. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. This episode may contain distressing themes and content and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. I'm here with Ksenia, who's going to share some interesting parts of her story. Ksenia was adopted from Russia. I know we've been talking to a lot of Russian adoptees, but they never get old. I love them all very much because, well, I'm adopted from Russia. So we get to have another one on tonight. Ksenia, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, everybody. I am from Krasnoyarsk, Russia. And I was adopted in 2003. I was just shy. I think I was like two months shy of turning nine. I came over actually with my sister, who's actually my half-sister. So we were adopted together. I had another sister that was that got separated from us in the process of adoption. And I think the last time I saw her, she was like probably a year, a year and a half. Haven't heard anything from her. Don't know if she's alive or anything like that. Yeah, so... But I got adopted by an American couple. You mentioned that you were adopted from Russia with your half-sister. Was that planned ahead of time, or did it kind of just work out that way? No. So actually, we were put in the orphanage after my mom was murdered. My bio mom was murdered. And we had ended up, I think my sister was about four at the time. I was six when we were put in the orphanage. And there was a lady that was actually trying to adopt my sister before, uh, and she didn't want to adopt me because I was older, obviously. So I actually ended up getting severely sick to where I couldn't keep food, drinks, anything down. I was severely malnourished. So I was rushed to the hospital and the doctors had told the orphanage, you can't let the other sister get adopted. This little girl is, her life is going to end if you guys separate these two, because she's got nothing else to live for. So that adoption did not happen because of that. And then I guess a couple of years later, there was an American couple that actually were only supposed to adopt one child. And they heard there was a sister and they're like, okay, well, we don't want to separate the two. So let's adopt them. Do you have a strong relationship with your half sister? Uh, we're working on it. And oh, that's okay. kinda, when we get into the adoption story, you will kind of understand why that is. Got it. Okay, great. So you mentioned that you were adopted at nine. What do you remember about Russia? Do you have any 
good memories from there or are they mainly not so great or kind of tell us a bit about what you remember about your early years? I was born in a little tiny town called Antropov. I think is the name of it. I can't find it on the map because it's so tiny. I remember that we lived in a really rundown house, almost like a cottage. We didn't have any lights, no bath. I remember there was like a, a potato field in the backyard, which I guess was somebody owned the farm or whatnot. My mom, she was out in the streets. Like that was her job. Um, never met my father. I had two little sisters with different dads. One of them, I actually remember what really traumatic event was he had gotten angry at my mom and grabbed a knife and chased us around the neighborhood holding a knife. He was trying to kill us. And that was very traumatic. Another time, my mom ended up bringing one of her customers home. And my baby sister was in her little crib. My other sister was sitting on the couch and the guy was just beating my mom. I mean, to the point where she was bleeding and almost out of breath. And I was so scared. I, I think I was three or four at the time. I ran outside, got the biggest stick that I could find, ran in and started pounding him with it just to get him off my mom. And he had turned around, flung me. I bumped into the crib and knocked my baby sister out. The guy, I guess, felt bad. I don't know what happened, but he ended up leaving. My mom survived. And I just remember it was very... I was in charge of taking care of my two little sisters because my mom was gone all the time. I barely remember what she looks like. I don't have any pictures of her. I remember her name was Sasha. And she was very young. And then the last memories I have of her was us going for a walk down a highway. And she had pulled a taxi over, grabbed the baby out of my arms, got in the taxi, and they drove off. And I was like, well, I want to follow my mom, you know. So I took my little sister's hand and we started walking, trying to follow the road and ended up getting lost in woods. And I think we were lost in the woods for about three days until we came upon a farm and the guy knew where my mom was, took us to the drug lord house that she was at. At that point, all the glass in that house was broken. There was not really many lights. You could smell like moldy food. You could just tell it was a dirty, disgusting place. My little sister was really, really sick. And within a couple of days, somebody called the cops and we were rushed to the hospital. And that was the last time I saw my mom and the last time I saw my youngest sister. After the hospital, we were there probably for two weeks. I could be wrong on the time frame, but that's just what I remember. So they sent us back to our grandma's house. And our grandma, first thing she did was sit us on the couch and she said, girls, I have to tell you something. Your mom has passed away. She was killed. And uh, we just bursted into tears. And then uh, we just, I think a couple days, weeks later, we were walking down the road and a van pulls up, grabs us off the road, takes us to an orphanage. We didn't get to say bye to any family members. We believe that it was my grandma that called the orphanage or the police or whatever to say, hey, you need to take these girls. I can't take care of them or whatnot. Yeah. And the whole time we were in the orphanage, we kept hearing, well, your dad is trying to get you guys back. Your aunt that's in Moscow is trying to get you guys, but nothing ever came of it. So I don't know if it was lies or whatnot. But yeah, yeah. so that's kind of the stuff that I do remember from Russia. And there were a couple things that happened with, I'm not going to go into too much details, but like with men abusing us physically, sexually, that kind of thing. And that was very, very traumatic. Wow. I guess to answer my question, if you had positive or 
no positive memories, we can agree that no positive memories. There is one that I always tell my little sister is the one where my mom attended one birthday party and it, that was my middle sister's birthday party. And I had tried to give a little sucker to the baby. And my mom yelled at me like she she's like, you can't give the baby that piece of lollipop or whatever, because the baby would choke on it. But that's the, really the only good memory I remember of her. Wow. And I mean, you said that you never kind of knew what happened with your other sister that kind of left and it, you know, maybe still there, maybe not. I mean, have you ever tried to search names or see if there's any records or anything? So I definitely have. And actually about a year and a half ago, a lady that helped my sister and I get adopted, like the translator, she reached out to me and she's like, well, I could help you find your birth parents or whatnot. And, or at least your dad, you know? So I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then, so she put us in contact with them. First, she didn't know anything about my sister. It's like almost, she didn't exist. No birth certificate, no records of her whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, yeah, but here's your dad. And apparently you have an older brother and your grandma is still alive. So like we started talking through a translating app, but it wasn't like the talks that you would expect to have with somebody that's in your family. You know what I mean? Like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that you were found. It was like, well, we didn't even know you existed. You know, the, my dad, I don't even know if he was my dad. He's like, yeah, I went to prison, but I don't want to discuss why I went to prison. Your mom and I were in love. It was like very, what's the word? Not much details. It, yeah. it was like, I didn't feel comfortable. And then as soon as like the lady got paid, all conversations stopped. So it was like, okay, were those actually my family? Was it not? Because every record that I have, that lady just basically read off those records. No new information, nothing. And I'm like, I'm worried, you know, like I was interested in finding my biological parents, but now I'm worried that people are just using it to scam people. So that completely devastated me, as you could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. To, to try to even open yourself up to revisit any of that trauma and then have the results that you did, it kind of questions the whole process itself, which a lot of adoptees experience along the way. False records, birthdays that apparently were mis, you know, recorded for, you know, some people were older than they thought or younger. And it, it almost like it's just, I don't know, in some way it angers me. It's like, how can a country just lie so much about its people? It's, it's right. just unbelievable. But since then, I assume, like you said, you didn't really want to try to reach out again or anything. Have you ever explored on the Russian social networking site? And tried spelling their names and kind of doing I, that? I have. I've tried hunting down the orphanage that I was adopted from that apparently closed a while ago. My sister and I ask my adopted parents information and my adopted parents just are so vague. It's, they don't want... It's, I get the feeling that my adopted parents absolutely don't want anything to do with the Russian side of us. Like that is a huge no. From the day we were adopted, the whole Russian, it was like, you are not allowed to speak the language. You're not even allowed to talk about it, like that kind of thing. So, and when they heard that I, as an adult, want to find out, you know, more information about where I come from, it was almost like I got shunned. Do you know where all this, like, kind of rejection of the fact that you're from Russia or the lack of acknowledging where you're, you were originally from came from with your adoptive parents? Did they just have a secret <laughs> hatred toward Russia or something? What I think is, so the church that my parents adopted from, there were a couple of families that adopted Russian kids from that church. 
And so that's how they connect with the orphanage, I assume. But I think my husband and I have this feeling that they really adopt because they're higher class. And so they couldn't have kids of their own. So we have this feeling that they adopted not so much because they wanted to have kids, but it's to fit into their class and to sit there and kind of be like, oh, look at us. We adopted some really rundown kids. So they like telling people that, yeah, these kids are from Russia. We we rescued them. And they've instilled in our brain that for the rest of our lives, we are in debt because they adopted us. And that was something that was trained into us as soon as, as we stepped into American soil. Wow. How did they go about reminding you? Did they just tell you on a daily basis that, you know, remember what we did for you? Like, you, you're, you need to be grateful forever. Before we even left Moscow, mom and dad, they ended up, whenever the translators were around, mom and dad were like, had the Russian dictionary and they would pretend to like be interested in communicating with us in Russian, you know, so they would really try. But as soon as the translator left, mom would, on the curtains of the hotel, she would have the English alphabet written out. And we had to sit there and memorize the English alphabet. And this is within days of us connecting in Moscow. So I memorized the English alphabet before we even came to America. As soon as we came to America, it was, you are not allowed to speak Russian. This is America, and you are not allowed to speak that language. And if we did, we actually got spanked for it. It was very, very traumatic. I felt like I had done something wrong. It makes me a little upset just thinking about it. And yeah. all we did was like try to please them, you know? So Obviously, you know, we both know that that's not normal for people to act that way. So, you know, don't ever think that it was something you did wrong because you did absolutely nothing wrong. It's just, it's dumbfounding to me that you would have people that adopt children from a foreign country knowing where they're from and yet then refuse to acknowledge that side of them, which as being an adoptee, especially international adoptee that came from a foreign country, had an entirely different culture and background wants to probably explore that background one day and they feel bad that they can't. I mean, you hear about all these identity issues and how people can't figure themselves out. And a part of that is because they need to feel whole. So how can you feel whole if one side of you isn't even allowed to feel anything? That's right. I totally agree with you on that. But yeah, we were just, there were times where they would get really mad, mostly my dad. And he would say, the worst mistake I ever made in my life was adopting you girls. Or there would be other comments such as like, if we did something wrong and the wrong things, when I say we do something wrong, it was lie, but we lied to mainly protect ourselves, not to get in trouble because we were terrified of absolutely everything at that point. So coming from a place where you're starved, you don't have clothes. You take baths like once a week if you're even lucky. So that's the environment I had for nine years. And as soon as we're adopted, I'm going to sneak raisins or whatever, grapes or whatever into my room because I'm afraid to go hungry. And my mom and dad saw that as me stealing from them, as me lying about it. And I would get severely punished. And I'm not talking about like just spankings. I'm talking about beatings. There were times where my dad would take me in the bathroom and I'd come out with a bloody nose because like he would not just spank but he would like get this angry rage and just beat me until i bled that kind of thing and there were just so many memories of that at 15 i at 15 i actually called a children's home 
and it was for abused and neglected kids. And I was like, I need to get away because at that point I had been, my parents locked me in the garage and gave me a bucket to use for the bathroom. And I mean, there's no pillows, no blankets, you know, and that's what they did. And I got fed up. And so I called a children's place and they're like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to take you in. And I was there until I graduated. I actually graduated top of my class. I was the valedictorian. And of course, my parents, you know, they sit there and brag, oh, oh, you know, we did this, provided this environment for our kids or whatever. But like nobody really knows the truth. And I've been going to therapy for the last nine years. And I mean, this is like straight, not like broken up therapy, you know? Right. Um, Just with all this trauma. And my parents just sit there and say, well, that's trauma from Russia from orphanage. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's from you guys. And they will not acknowledge it. Like they just, it's almost like it doesn't exist because they've got this righteous mentality thing. It's, it's unbelievable. When you reached out to the children's home in the U.S. that you ended up going to until you graduated, did they ever formally have an investigation with the police into this matter? No, they, uh, no, not even, not even remotely. I just remember calling them up um, and they're like, okay, well, come in. Then they took me into a room that they had like a conference room, sat me and my parents down. And of course, whenever you have abusive family, you're like too scared to even say anything. And they're in the room with you. And I remember the, the children's home was like, yeah, we're going to take her in. My dad didn't give me a hug didn't say anything, just walked out the door. Like I was a disgrace. You know, my mom gave me a a hug. At least dad never visited me. Not one time in the four years that I was there. Mom would come once in a while. And I, I just remember that there was one time mom came and because they're very, very wealthy, you have to understand this place was for neglected and abused children, children that have lost their parents, you know, very run down. Everything was a nonprofit. So it's actually You have people, volunteers that do this kind of work with the children. Everything's donated, right? So my mom walks in and she looks at the baseboards and she's like, oh, you know, we could actually replace those baseboards for for you guys because it looks like it's run down. I could not have been more embarrassed. I'm like, you're seeing children that are hungry, that have been abused and neglected, and you're worried about baseboards? How how can you, you know, but that's the way they were. They live in this world where like everything is perfect because probably nothing really bad ever happened to them. And then the other thing they've always used is, well, when we adopted you, we expected you to come with a clean slate. Like you, you know, we expected you not to have any memories. And it's like, I'm nine years old. How do you expect me not to have any memories? It just sounds like they didn't do their research, clearly. No, zero research. I can tell you that zero, just absolutely zero. They didn't, it baffles me. And then they never like, you know, you hear stories with uh, Russian adoptees were like, oh my goodness, did you hear about those children that got sent back to Russia or that were just so awful to their parents or whatever else? But it's like, you don't hear the side of the children, the side of the children that have actually been adopted that suffered trauma during that adoption. There's very few of them that actually come forward and want to speak publicly about it. That's kind of why I wanted to. Yeah, and that's why your story is going to really, really, I think, have an impact. And I think it's going to really hit hard and hit home to a lot of adoptees, what they think about and they hear about it. And some of them are even going to say, wow, I can relate. And they're going to want to be inspired to talk about it. Because that's, you know, with any problem like this and 
it's it's a problem. You know, once you label it right. a problem, we have to do something, right? And the first, you know, first stage of it is well, we have to talk about it, get it off our shoulders. So the fact the fact that we're acknowledging it, that's good. And um, at least we recognize because if not, it's going to eat at you forever. Going back to what you said, I'm just curious why, what was going through your head when you made that phone call to the children's home. I'm surprised you didn't call the police instead. Well, the reason I didn't call the police is because anywhere we went, mom and dad used to point out the police and be like, you see that? That's a friend. And you can't call them because you'd get in big trouble and you would go to jail because they're going to think you're lying. And so my dad would literally stand up from the table because they they were very well known in the town they were, we were in. And so he would actually walk over, hey, and then whatever the cop's name was, shake his hand, you know, all this stuff. So we were absolutely terrified to even we didn't even know the police phone number. Like we didn't even know that was an option to sit there and call the police. We didn't know 911. You know what I mean? So the only phone numbers I knew was my grandma's phone number, my mom's and my dad's. I wasn't allowed to call friends. I wasn't allowed to do like extracurricular activities outside of school. My parents wanted us to play golf because apparently golf, you make a lot of money. So that was something that was instilled with us. And I absolutely hated it. I remember going to them. I think it was like in fifth grade. And I'm like, I really want to play soccer. And they're like, well, then you pay for everything. And it was just, I, I was baffled. And I quit playing golf because I was like, this is not something I want to do. This is, you know, I like the being around people. And my parents just, I think they were scared that we were going to talk. And so they kept us very secured and enclosed and very protected. I remember this one time where summer school, they had a cousin, one of our cousins come over and she was older, but she ended up babysitting us and we had to do math. And I was having a really hard time with math because when I got adopted, they put me straight into second grade. I didn't start in kindergarten, you know, and I was expected to know math and read and all this stuff. And of right. course I'm Russian. I don't know how to do that. So the babysitter told mom and dad, you know, that she, I was having issues with it. I got beat that night to where to the point where I couldn't even sit down. And so the babysitter the next day, she came over and she's like, well, why can't you sit down? And I showed her and she had that discussion with mom and dad, you know, it's not okay. And because she was a cousin, I guess, like she didn't report it, but we got beat even more that night because of that. So my parents became even more protective and I wish somebody would have reached out. I, I And I guarantee you people saw like our family had to have seen something. I know our grandma, she had seen stuff, you know, or, you know, at least believed stuff. But I think it just because they're wealthy, they're a very wealthy family. It's. Do you think it was fear mostly that for you? Oh, for the rest of my family or for. Well, fe fe fear of what could happen if you spoke or said anything. Absolutely. And I remember one time I actually tried to run away. I got on my bike and I rode around the neighborhood and I was like, I can't leave my sister in this. I can't let her get beat and all this stuff. Because me being the older, I got most of the punishments. So I was always her protector. And when I left for the children's home, she didn't want to go. So I left. And one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. Because the I wasn't able to protect her. And I remember coming home one day for like a visit. And she had told me she tried to commit suicide. And that shattered my world. Like just, I blame myself for leaving and mom. And that's why we are not close because during that four years that we were apart, 
mom and dad just drilled into her. Your sister abandoned you. She never loved you. You're never going to see her again. Like all this stuff drained into, you know, drilled into her brain. And so she grew up believing all this bad, nasty stuff about me. And so finally, when I got married and I got kids of my own, we're trying to rekindle. And she's actually standing up her ground against mom and dad right now. And that's been hard for her. But, you know, we've kind of got to the point where we have each other's back, where mom and dad cannot sit there and say, oh, you're getting your memories mixed up. Oh, all this stuff happened in Russia. It didn't happen here in the United States. But we, we're both together standing up and saying, yeah, this stuff did happen. And, you know, we can't pretend that it didn't happen anymore. Wow. There's no word to describe what you've gone through. And unless you've done it, you've gone through it yourself. I can't relate in some of those ways. So I'm sorry about that. But I can relate on other factors of having parents that are well known in the town, that they care about their image. I mean, <laughs> golf, that's another thing. You, you mentioned golf and I crack up because my parents are obsessed with golf. And yes, I used to play it, but I wasn't like, it's not that I didn't care. It's just, you know, I just went out there, I hit the ball and oh, well, you yeah. know, I, that's pretty much it. But they, they just don't watch it for like hours and i'm like what is so yeah, interesting yeah, about yeah, this yeah. like when you when you left for those last four years you say that you had like very limited contact with your uh, adopted family besides your mom coming in a few times and visiting when she came in and saw you what was the purpose of those visits what did you guys discuss if you don't um, mind no i remember the first time she came to visit so I'm five six, and at the time, I think I was like ninety eight pounds, so I was really petite, obviously because they weren't feeding me. So when I went to the children's home, the first thing they did is they sat me down at the table, and they're like, "You are not allowed to get up until you eat all your food, and then get seconds." So I got bigger and bigger, you know. And my mom came to see me for the first time, and this was like a year later. I was with my friends, and her first words out of her mouth: "Wow, you got fat!" And I just like. That's the first thing she said to me, not, I love you. I miss you. Or, you know, how you doing? It was, wow, you got fat. And for the rest of the four years I was there, that was a huge thing with my friends where they were like, I can't believe your mom would even say that and embarrass you like that. You know, she would come and visit. It's not so much visit. It's more like she would come and pick me up for me to go home for the weekend. Like if there were holidays and things like that. And I remember like there would be days where like you could visit for 14 days. But because I could, I literally could not stay with them for more than three days because I would have anxiety and panic attacks and nightmares. And so like to them, I would become this angry child because I didn't know how to express my emotions and I was terrified of them. So I was acting out of fear. And so we just could not spend more than three days together. So they would just drop me back. But it wasn't anything where like she was visiting me just to visit me it was none of those growing up through like the school system did you go to a public school or a private school or homeschooled or we started off going to a public school then my parents didn't like the fact that they didn't really let the kids read the bible because my parents are extremely religious so they took us out of a public school put us into a private school which they like the private school because it's all based on religion you know and I remember we also did summer school. Uh, When we did the private school, I think that was from like fourth to fifth grade for me. And one of the teachers in fifth grade, I love her to pieces. Um, She actually uh, charges for like after school, if you have a child that is struggling, 
Yeah. Um, you could have your child stay after school for, I don't know how much it costs, but she actually came to my parents and she's like, your daughter is really struggling and I'm going to do this for free for her. And after fifth grade, my parents yanked me out and they're like, you were going to homeschool you. And so, and homeschooling is not what you think where they call a teacher in or whatever. It was like, okay, here are your books and you study. Oh, and your vocabulary isn't going to be from a spelling book. It's going to be from the Bible. So you read the Bible and you find words in the Bible that you don't know. And those are going to be your vocabulary. words. I think whenever I was in seventh grade, that's when they actually got a teacher in. And at that point, like I started cheating in school because no matter how hard I tried, how many hours I spent studying, it was really hard for me. I just couldn't pick it up because it's a new language. I didn't understand the sound of things or what things meant. And my parents would get really mad that I cheated because they're like, oh, you're so smart. You learned the alphabet within a week and we hadn't even come to America, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that I know everything else. You know, it was just, it was just really bad. I used to love school in Russia. I used to love school. And then as soon as I got to America, I absolutely hated it. Absolutely hated it. Yeah. And, and when I got to the Hope Children's Home, I actually ended up graduating top of my class. And that was a lot of work. That took tons and tons of work. And of course, my parents pretended it was their credit, you know. And I got accepted to a college in California. But my parents, here comes the parenting thing, right? Where, so if we're in Florida and I'm going to college in California, well, they're like, no, you're going to go to New York and you're going to take care of kids there for a couple months to save up money for college. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds good, you know. So then I go there and when it's time for me to go back home to pack up for college, they're like, no, you're getting accepted in that college because we know the people that work in that college and that's where you're going to be. I graduated and they didn't even come to my graduation. Not only did they not come to my graduation, they told everybody in my family that I didn't graduate, which I did. I can't. This is, it's, just, I mean, I'm not laughing. I hope you know that. Like, it's, no, it's, I'm laughing. I'm laughing going, because as I tell it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I really live that life? You know? Yeah. I just feel like this is it's like, bizarre. this is like going downhill. It's like, I, it's like we're uncovering other ways that we can just be disappointed. Like, I, this is just frustrating and disappointing oh, yeah. and yeah. just, it's disgusting, to be honest. And I'm not, yeah. wow. Like, that's just, yeah. that's so wrong. So I guess, I'm curious about your college life a little bit. Did you have a lot of friends in college? I mean, I know your parents tried to keep a close leash on you, you know, early. <laughs> oh, I, you know, in terms of like friends, I mean, were you open with other people about what happened, what, your, what you went through in the United States and Russia? Did you hide that part of you for a lot of years? Kind of explain what you did during, I guess, those years in New York. That was the first time you were away from you, them. You were more independent, I assume. I mean, yeah, you they knew the people at the, at the university or their college, but you still got to be you for a chance. And that's why they always yeah. say it, it, college is amazing because it's the first time you get to go out yeah. and actually be independent. So I'm curious, what did you do during college years? The first thing I did was I dyed my hair. <laughs> <laughs> that seems very and, appropriate. Good for yeah, you. I remember it was like a really bright red. And I didn't, I went to the drugstore and I was like, it's supposed to wash out with a month. So within a month. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, and it lasted a whole stupid year. I remember I could not get the diet, but my mom saw me and she's like, oh, you look horrible. And I'm like, but that was the first independent thing I did. And uh, I, I bet it felt great, didn't it? It did. Yeah, actually, quite did. 
And I just remember I had a couple of really close friends that I really trusted. So I wasn't like outgoing, like everybody liked me. I had a bunch of guys that were like trying to hit on me and stuff like that. And I hadn't dated at all. Like in high school, if a guy approached me, I would run the other way. And I don't mean like walk the other way. I mean, I would sprint the other way because I was, remember what happened like in in Russia with abusing me and stuff. So I was petrified of men and boys and all that stuff. In college, I got my first boyfriend and he was, a you know, Puerto Rican. And I thought he was cute and he was one of the nicest guys you could meet. So I, of course, I go to brag to my mom, you know, and she just like, I don't know. I don't want to say like the racist or whatnot, but like she never met him, never talked to him. And she's like, well, he comes from a poor family. You're too good for him. Like all this stuff. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, by the, and this was all in an email. And I remember she's like, after you read this, delete the email. So I deleted the email because she had access to my email. account. So I was like, well, if I don't delete it, she's going to know I don't delete it. So I had to delete it. But I just like, I just, I was so baffled that she would even say something like that. Like, and then I dated one other guy and, but that didn't work out. And this is a Christian, like severely Christian Bible college where all you do is study the Bible. Like there's no math, there's no English. It's you sit and study the Bible. <laughs> so like what, what majors did they offer then? That's it. It was Bible. The college I wanted to go in California, I was going to be a teacher. Oh. They didn't like that because it's a poor, you know, teachers don't make a lot of money. So they didn't like that. Wow. So, so bizarre. It's, but I just don't understand how they, how can they still feel like they need to control your life when sending you to call? I mean. Oh, they still do. I, I'm married. I have two kids. Oh, they still like, they, they're still extremely controlling. I, I'm going to back up. So you, you asked earlier something about, did I open up about the abuse or anything to anybody? Yeah, that's I right. actually did. I remember during Christmas, I went to the Dean of Women and I told her, I don't want to go home. Please find me somewhere else to stay because my parents are abusive and I'm too terrified to go home. She's like, we don't have anywhere for you on property to stay. You need to go home. I went home. I worked during that Christmas break. And I remember I came home one day and I was just worn out because I've been working all day. I just wanted to go upstairs in my room and take a nap which is normal. Like, you know, I should be able to do that. My mom had asked me a question. I'm like, mom, very respectfully. I was like, mom, I'm really tired. I didn't sleep good last night. Can I please go take a nap and then talk to you about it afterwards? Well, my dad saw that as complete disrespect because I didn't want to talk to my mom. He slapped me across the face. I'm not kidding you. Slapped me across the face in front of her and said, you answer your mother right now. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean I can't abuse you. It's just not longer a child abuse. So you can't report it. And I packed, I'm not kidding you. I went upstairs, packed up my bags, went online, looked for a hotel. It was a rundown hotel because I had to use my savings from birthdays and stuff like that to be able to afford a hotel for two weeks. And my mom, I had my mom drive me to that hotel because that was the last time I told myself that is the last time a man is going to lay his hands on you. That is the last time. And I remember my mom, she's like, are you sure? Like my mom, you would expect your mom to be like, don't you ever lay a hand on one of my kids. Don't you ever do something like that. If, if my husband laid a hand on one of the kids, I'd kick him out. You know what I mean? And she was defending him while he's your father. You need to obey and honor your mother and father, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, abuse is not okay. You know? No, it's never, uh, it's never okay. No, to this day, I tell you to this day, I cannot be in a room left alone with them 
Like if I go and visit or they come here, I will never be left in a room with them by myself. I don't blame nor, you. Nor ever leave my kids with them. I was going to say, personally, I'm surprised you even see them. No, well, now I'm not because like, I, you know, for, for this is where therapy comes in. Like I told you, I've been doing therapy for yeah. years and every single therapist, you need to call contact with them. You need to stop talking to them. You know, they're really bad people. And so I would stop talking to them. Uh, I went for two years without speaking to them. And this, this started after my mom had told me I got pregnant with my daughter and I had a very bad pregnancy where I was throwing up and in the hospital for eight months. Like it was really bad. And I had called her up, you know, for advice. And she's like, I told you, you shouldn't have had kids of your own. You should have repaid your mom, your dad and I by adopting kids of your own. Like that was her reaction. And after that, I'm like, I just need to stop talking to you because this is not okay. And then we reconnected and everything was going fine, you know, and then my sister actually got diagnosed with leukemia last year, which is uh, blood cancer and it's chronic. So it doesn't go away. And she's 25. And my mom and dad, they completely disrespected her, her stuff that she wanted to do with the doctors, the kind of treatment she wanted for her cancer, just rude, disrespectful. And then they ended up telling her, nobody's going to want a piece of crap like you. Like she was with her boyfriend and they're like, because you've got cancer, nobody's going to want a piece of crap like you. And she had got into suicidal again at that point. And she called me crying. I'm like, you know, you need to fly out here. We'll buy your ticket. We'll do whatever we need to do to get you here. So that way you do have a life. You do have something that you need to live for. And she's going to therapy of her own. She actually went to four years of psychology school. She's trying to write a book right now based on her experience as well. Have you thought about writing a book? Everybody's been telling me that, you know, you need to write a book. You need, And I'm like, I'm terrible with writing things. I can write my thoughts and it's jumbled, but as far as putting things together, I'm terrible at it. You could just, I mean, there are a lot of good people out there that if you just have like an open dialogue with them and talk about your experiences, they can put it in writing and you can just share your, I mean, that could work too, but. I mean, I'm up for whatever. And my kids, let me tell you, my kids are the thing that I live for. I I, I used to be, I used to live for my sister, keeping her safe. Now my kids are the thing that I live for. And mom and dad actually told my sister, they're like, you know, we don't believe in the parenting styles that psychologists and psychiatrists are teaching these days. And we definitely don't approve of our, of my parenting styles. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad you don't approve because if you did approve, I'd be beating and abusing my kids like you did me. So I'm glad. And I don't need your approval, you know? And it's one of those things where looking back, those used to be my darkest, darkest days. But now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm kind of glad I went through those things because as far as empathy and emotional connection and understanding of people and not judgment, those are things, qualities that I have gained from going through what I've gone through. And I want other people to have a voice, you know, don't let other people scare you into not sharing your story because trust me, I opened up to my family about it and I got shunned, like from my aunts, uncles, grandparents, all that, everybody shunned me. But what do I have to hide? I don't have to hide anything. This is, you know, this is my story. It happened. I've moved past and I'm a better person for it. That's, well, (laughs) the fact that you can say that really shows the progression you made. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I just have a few more questions for you that I'm very curious about. My first question is, 
all the years of the trauma and the stress and the anxiety and the abuse, especially when it comes to dealing with men. I'm curious, how did you overcome that to get to the point where you could feel comfortable getting married to someone who's a guy? So my husband was actually the first person I slept with where in our, I wouldn't even like hold hands with guys when I dated them. You know, that was a very hard thing for me to do. When I met my husband, I w- it was drilled into me that the person you sleep with you need to marry or marry the person you're going to sleep with, that kind of thing. So at 19, when I met him, it was like, okay, well, I I made clear to him, you know, if we're going to sleep together or whatnot, you need to marry me. And that's what happened. You know, we got married and I still do have issues with trusting men. My husband is the only man I will ever trust when I, and you know, people don't think about it, but also when I had my son, when I got pregnant with my son, that was extremely hard for me. And I knew like I wasn't bringing somebody in the world that would abuse women or whatnot, but it was just the fear of me carrying a male. And for the first six weeks after I'd given birth to him, I couldn't, like I had, I couldn't change him, couldn't bathe him. Like it was just so traumatic for me. And then finally, after going to therapy and stuff like that, I got past that stage. But that stage was kind of like a blur. I just know I didn't really bond with my son the way I'm supposed to bond with him, you know? That was actually my second question was, based on what you've experienced so far, how do you think it affected your relationship with having your own children? Yeah, and, um, but with, with my daughter and my son, I, do not, I don't even spank them. Like, I don't lay my hands on them in anger or in just no patting on the butt, no patting on the hand, none of that. We do timeouts. And the timeouts are based on their age. So my son is three. He goes in timeout for three minutes. My daughter's five. She goes in for five. We have open communication. That's a big thing in our family is if the kids are crying or something like that, we make sure that we get both sides of their stories and uh, just letting them know, like, don't be afraid to talk to mommy and daddy. You know, you guys are not going to be in trouble for talking to us about things. My daughter actually, believe it or not, she just graduated from a preschool and she knows how to read. So she actually read a poem for everybody, Aww. which is like unheard of. But she's been reading since she was three years old. That's awesome. She's just as smart as a whip. <laughs> the child is so smart. And then my son, he's, oh, I love my son to pieces. Like he's just the sweetest boy. Anytime I have physical limitations, I have a lot of chronic illnesses and things like that. And so there's times where I'm just, fatigued or my bones hurt and my son comes over mommy let me tuck you in or mommy let me bring you some food or water whatever you know he's very attentive I have very caring children and my husband thank goodness he's he's had to take the disciplinary role because I'm more of the nurturing one for what I've been through yeah he's very supportive the don't spank kids you know not to spank the kids or whatnot so well that's awesome that it's working out so well and (laughs) That's, a, that's such a big step for you after all of you've gone through. And the fact that you are living proof that you can do it, that's going to bring a lot of hope for those who are struggling as well and have been down the same path that you have. But they're, they're going to hopefully find the light at the end of the tunnel that you're discovering. And it's clear that you are definitely, you know, you're doing so well. And everyone who's going to listen to this and they're, they're going to say, that, you know, how proud they are. And it's just a lot. It's a big step. And I did have a comment to make about your children seem so amazing. 
And I just want you to soak that in now before they hit in their teenager years. And <laughs> you my slow- daughter, I feel like she's already a teenager sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you might change your statement in 10 years, but we'll check in. But <laughs> I'm kidding. My last final question for you is what advice would you like to pass on to people who are listening? So for those that are adopted, you are loved. You do matter. And you've got people that you could reach out to for help. There's the Facebook group that I just joined for Russian adoptees. I recommend that you do join that group because that's given me a voice. And I mean, I just joined that like a couple of days ago. So, and then for those that, I don't know if those that adopt actually like adoptive parents, we understand, you know, that you might not know all the answers and you might not know all the trauma the kids have gone through. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on us. Reach out for help. There's help available, you know, but never give up. And for those that do see abuse going on, please report. That's very important. Because the more abuse happens, the more damage the person can get and the harder the recovery time. But yeah, just remember that there, you've got friends out there. You're not the only one that's been through what you've been through. And we're here for you. Very well said and very powerful. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time this evening and thank you for opening up. It's going to help so many people and we're so proud of how far you've come. Know that you have a community that's open and welcome and we are here for you. Any step, if you need anything, you let us know how we can help. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please do stay in touch. And if there's anything we can do, like I said, we're more than happy to. That was a very powerful and touching episode tonight. Stay tuned for more episodes every week. We release them on Wednesday here at Voice of Adoptees. You can check us out online, www.voiceofadoptees.com. We're on all the podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, etc. Those who are wanting to share their story, we do encourage you. And as we just heard, if you or you know someone who is uh, going through something, going through a traumatic event, or may have experienced abuse in their life, there are resources. We invite you to find them, get, and open up about it, because there are people out there who are willing and waiting for you. Tune in next week. We'll see you then. Thank you so much, and have a great evening. Voice of Adoptees. Who am I? Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.